Good evening, welcome to the Petaluma City Council meeting. This is a special meeting, 6 p.m. July 8th, 2013. Would the clerk please call roll? Harris? Here. Kearney? Here. Barrett? Here. Glass? Here. Albertson? Here. Healy? Here. Miller? Here. And would Dave Alden please lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? This is a workshop, or pavement management workshop, that will be presented. We have a spot here for general public comment on items that are not on the agenda. Is there anyone that wishes to address the council on public comment? Having no speaker cards and seeing no one step forward, public comment is hereby closed. Uh, I want to take a moment to thank the folks at Sonoma Media Group for putting on a wonderful fireworks celebration for our community on the 4th of July. Uh, the owner of Sonoma Media Group, Lawrence Amaturo, the president, Michael O'Shea, all of the folks at that fine entity, uh, John Stark, who coordinates our movies in the park for providing the music and coordinating the celebration, and from our staff, Scott Broden and the now-retired Jan Mandrell. And it was a wonderful celebration on the 4th of July, and thank you to all of those people and all the people that work with them on making that a success. And with that, we'll go uh, to council comment. Is there any council comment tonight? With that, we'll go to the staff, Mr. Albertson. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, last week, we had a question about the 101 northbound on-ramp Petaluma Boulevard South. Are we, hopefully, we're going to have a plan that's going to come together. And if we, staff, is able to put that together sometime soon, make it public for local businesses that would be that would be helpful thank you thank you so much mr healy oh how about you okay anybody else mr, mr. Kearney. Kearney. Yes, sir. uh yesterday we had the pleasure of watching the Petaluma valley little league team win their championship game and we'll be progressing on to davis or no not davis dixon wonderful dixon next sunday uh at 5 30 and uh, I, I know myself and councilmember harris will be traveling up there to support them so uh, I don't think we could start playing the parade yet, but this team looks pretty good. So pretty exciting for them. All right. So with that, um, we'll move on to our uh, report for tonight. This is a special meeting on a workshop on pavement management. Mr. Zimmer, Mr. St. John. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. Dan St. John, Director of Public Works and Utilities, and I get the distinct honor of introducing our team here and then sitting down and letting our esteemed uh, engineering manager carry most of the weight on the presentation. You will be seeing me later in the presentation, but I did want to introduce, again, folks that I'm sure you know, but uh, Mike Almarini is our is our street supervisor and he's the one who's really driving the program in the field with our own crews and you're going to get to see some of the the new kinds of things that, that he's bringing to the team uh, Erica Schmitty Allman is our senior engineer who uh, works on most of our paving projects and Larry Zimmer needs no introduction and he will take it from here thanks good evening everyone um, just a real quick outline of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the pavement basics, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, but for others watching, 
um, talk about our current conditions. We'll go into some detail about our pavement management system, um, what we've been using, how we've been using it. Uh, part of that pavement management system is the decision tree, um, how we select streets and how we come up with some of the estimates for costs and things that you'll see in the presentation come out of that and we've made some pretty drastic changes to that. Um, we'll talk about our current needs which will lead directly into our uh, current funding and uh, the expenditures that we're foreseeing in the near future. Dan will come back again and talk a little bit about the financial scenarios. We'll talk about what we're doing with our funding for 1314 within the CIP, have a little summary conclusion and then questions. Of course, uh, feel free to interrupt at any time with questions. The most basic uh, and what you'll be hearing referred to a lot is the PCI of the street, which is the pavement condition index. Um, it's a scale from 0 to 100. You'll see different terms used, but this is really the best way to think about it. Um, as 70 or above is, is basically a good street. Once you get below 70 to 50, that's, uh, the street is at risk, and you'll see in a minute why we, we call that at risk. Um, below there, you're in poor, and you know it's rough numbers here. Getting below 25, it's a failed street, meaning there's almost no value in that street anymore. It needs to be completely reconstructed. This is a standard graph of uh, life of a pavement. Uh, the 16 years isn't a magic number, it's just what this one is. Um, different streets, different volumes will have different expected lives. Um, what is important is when you put in a new street, the deterioration starts off really slow. You can go quite a few years before you even notice that the street is starting to deteriorate. Um, but this is really telling that 75% of a pavement life, it has about a 40% drop in quality. The next 12% of its life, it has another 40% drop. It's a very steep curve. There's some point where it just it degrades so quickly, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Larry, excuse me. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Mr. Zimmer, um, th this is real clear. Um, you know, I think you can just say that over time you can actually see how a, how a street degrades. But uh, if you could back up to the pavement condition index, um, you know, that looks pretty defined, but they're really, what are the criteria that you use to give it a 70 versus a 65 or a 75? Um, I'll, I'll get into that in some detail if you want to wait. Okay, I will. I will. Thank you. Um, so again, this is the standard life where you're not doing any work. Um, here is the same start of the graph, but at a certain point we're going to do some type of rehabilitation, typically a grind and a pave will bring you roughly back up to a new pavement again. Um, and then the decline starts again. You can keep doing this for a while, um, not indefinitely. At some point the underlying structure um, will degrade as well. Or if you can have a preventative maintenance program where you're doing crack sealing, slurry sealing, uh, microsurfacing, you can do that same thing on a much smaller scale, maintaining a higher level of pavement at a cheaper price. So these are some rough numbers. Again, within the good range, um, you're looking at two to five dollars. A slurry seal, microsurfacing, it's right around that two dollar range that's uh, significantly less than when you start getting into the at-risk 
and then into the poor area where you are doing deeper rehabilitations, the grind and pave, uh, uh, and full reconstructions. When you're down here, you're starting to lose quality of the base and you're going deeper. Um, much more of the street starts falling apart, uh, the curb and gutter, the drainage, you're getting a lot more that's uh, going into those projects. Oh, the PCI show here of 85, it's considered to be like the optimal level. If you had all the money in the world, if you could keep your streets at an 85, um, you can continue a, a preventative maintenance program for the lowest value of maintaining your street. The slurry seals, the crack seals can really keep going and you just have the occasional rehabilitation and reconstruction project and you can maintain that, that PCI. Petaluma right now is at a 45 um, and you can see we're really in that steep part of the curve. Mr. Zimmer. Yes. Uh, forgive me if you're going to cover it in a future slide, but on that last slide, if we were to keep our city streets at that 85 level, how much would that cost? Just a, a we, we rough will, estimate. We will get there. Thank you. Um, so our, our PCI, which is an average of 45 of all of our streets, if you were to break it down by functional class, arterial, collector, residential, um, this urban collector term was, is sort of out of date. It's still part of our system. It's only 6% of our network, so we can kind of ignore that. Think of it as a uh, distinction between collector and residential. But what I wanted to point out here is that our arterials at 62 PCI reflect a couple of things. It's been our focus is to, to maintain the streets with the higher volume. Um, additionally, our federal funding has to go to streets that are on the federal system and those are our arterials and some of our collectors. So that's 24% of our network um, is at that 62 PCI. Uh, just a different way to look at the, some of the same things. We have the PCIs in the 90s and the 80s and so on. You can see how many of our streets, 15% roughly, of our streets are at a PCI of 10 or 0 to 0 um, and a great number in this failed to poor area. Um, when I gave a presentation similar to this many years ago, this was that same chart. I thought it was a good comparison. At that time, we did not have that many in, in the completely failed area. Um, but you can see how the, the graphs sort of move down. Mr. Zimmer? Yes. Um, that slide you just showed is a comparison to the previous years. What was the overall PCI at that point? If it's 45 now? I think we were in the mid-50s then. It's, okay. It, part of the problem is is when you get the the biannual reports that you see f through MTC, so it's, so it's a not our year numbers, running MTCs. average. Okay. Yes, um, and I think it, we were at like mid fifties at that time. So it's a three year running average. That the when MTC puts it out, they give you a three year running average. The forty five that I showed you is what we have now, just taken out of Street Saver at at the moment. What, what years were those, if I may, for three year running average? So um, it's nine, always 10, the three 11. previous years before that one, and so there were still some high numbers in there. So we had some odd PCIs for a while that dropped real drastically because of some historic numbers that we had. And I don't. That's why I'm a little wary of what the number was at that okay. time. All right, thank you. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, our pavement management software, and I hopefully touch on some of your questions. Um, 
we use Street Saver. It's used by nearly everybody in the MTC area, the whole nine counties, the cities within those counties. Um, almost without exception, it's being used by everyone. The advantage of that is the people at MTC get all of this data, they can compile it, they can, they can um, see the trends and the, uh, with some consistency look at the numbers and know what they're reading. Um, the primary purpose of StreetSaver or how we use it the most is as a database. We store every street in there. Streets are broken up by segments. Um, they're rated, which we'll, we'll get into how that's done, um, with that PCI, and it has a maintenance history. So we can go back and we can look at what was done on a street however many years ago. Um, the program also, beyond being a database, it, it will generate streets based on a, a budget. We can provide any kind of budget over any life cycle we want and it will give us a recommendation. Here's just an example. Um, this was done in December. We said, okay, let's put in a million dollars a year for five years. And this is one of many, many pages. It's just an example for you to see. Um, what's noteworthy here is it goes right to the crack and slurry seal. Again, preventative maintenance over reconstruction, the more costly methods. It's the, it's the most cost-effective way to maintain a system. Um, and just to read it, it's the street, it's the segment from here to here, that's that one section. The type of uh, surface, the functional classification, it's current PCI. Note they're all in the 70s. Um, so how we get that is through a preset defined parameters for this, these decisions to be made. How, how we the program selects these, um, which we refer to as the decision tree, which is what we've been doing quite a bit of work on. Um, until now, we've used the MTC preset parameters, which are more of the tried and true generic, you slurry seal, you do a two inch grind and pave, you do a reconstruction. Things kind of fall into that category. What we've done is rather than follow that path and um, replacing pavement with new pavement, the theory of trying to add life to the pavement we have because we don't have enough money to maintain our streets. So what can we do to add life um, because we can't, we can't get to that good category with the funds that we have. Um, the PCIs must be updated on a regular basis which does require uh, field inspection. Uh, this is people going out to the field, looking at all of these different segments of road, taking a section of them, actually measuring the cracks, the width of the crack, the length of the crack, whether or not there's rutting, the, the surface appearance, there is a, a set list of things that they look at, they mark off, which ultimately generates this PCI. Um, Mr. Zimmer? Yes. Sir? Yes. So just... Um I had a note here. Who actually does this grading? It's at city staff. There, by there's a criteria. Who actually is this this entity who says that street is 50, that street's 80, that street's 20? The MTC set up a, a grant program we refer to as PTAP. The long name is up there. It it is for that very reason because. 
the they wanted the consistency and when city city and county employees were doing it they were reading them differently yeah so and people didn't have the funds so they weren't doing them as often as they should and therefore the data wasn't as good as it should be so they set up this program where they grant funds to the agencies typically every couple of years um, which should be adequate to pay a consultant to go out and inspect these further the MTC pre-qualifies these consultants and trains them they must attend the training at MTC to be on the list to be eligible and then the city can select from this list um, or they can be assigned whatever consultant is in the area and MTC pays them directly after we have approved their work is it arbitrary is the selection arbitrary no the the rating the street ratings it, it's certainly not arbitrary I think they typically do their best job they do need to be watched to some extent because they it is subject fly through it um, it's there's not much subjectiveness to it but there's also not as much thought in it as there should be um, for example if you have a street that's in terrible condition and you do a treatment that isn't appropriate for the bad condition it's in and the inspector comes out immediately after that's done he's not going to see the cracks he's not going to see the rutting he's not going to see all of those things that are going to mark it down and it's going to have an inordinately high rating so whenever we get those printouts like I showed you staff goes through one by one we go out to the field we look at them we look at the the as-builts to see what the structure structural section is we look at whether or not utilities are going to be going in underneath there's a whole array of factors that we look at that a program can't do but it's a starting point for looking at streets and more importantly it gives us an idea overall of what our system is looking like and and what we need to do we have some major arterials that come into town and the one that I think you know of is Petaluma Boulevard South a major entry into the city um, how would we rate Petaluma Boulevard South from the traffic circle down to D Street it's it's different per, per different sections and I think we talked about this when we were looking at the Obey grant our memory was is that there are segments in the 40s and other segments that are down in the 20s so it's in that failed to poor range okay looking forward do you anticipate the possibility of other grants coming that we might be able if you can wait a couple more slides. Oh, I love this. <laughs> can I can I ask a sure. question though before you move on from that slide? Of course. Um, with respect to the the consultants, so is the city staff telling them what streets to go out and look at, or that so that's how that's working? Yes, we set up we set up the scope of work with them, and basically what it is is there's a, arterials should be done every two years, and the residential should be done every five years. So we want to set up a cycle uh, with the anticipated grant funds that we're hitting those as they should be. Therefore, it keeps our data right. Um, MTC goes even farther than that. Uh, there's funding tied to us doing this and doing it properly. And so we get, we get our pavement management system certified. And if we aren't, we're not eligible for certain funds and not eligible for PTAP grants. So they really are trying to control that and make it consistent. Is there a consultant working in the city on it sounds like on a regular basis I mean there are a lot of streets it 
is or is it it's typically every two years they come out and they they do go through them pretty quickly um, I don't think it's been approved by MTC yet, but there's a drive-through with cameras that are is being tested in some places. Um, I think they're here for a month, a few weeks. That we have one scheduled for September, and they're roughly here for a few weeks. Again, depending on how many streets they're doing. If it's the cycle where we're doing the arterials and not all of the residentials, or sometimes they're doing it all. It varies how long they're here. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Zimmer, a sure. follow-up to your answer to uh, Vice Mayor Albertson's question where you answered some of the PCI along the boulevard is 40 and 20. Is some of that in the county or is that all city? Uh, Petaluma numbers? Boulevard South, I think that's all city. Even all the way We're there. talking okay. about all city because when we looked at it, we were looking about going up to city limits down there. Okay. Because my question would have been, but I still think somewhere in the city this could happen where it goes into the county. What is our coordination with the county is what I'm going to try Petaluma to get to. Boulevard North is like that, okay. um, where it goes in and out yeah. at a it, couple locations. It may not be their priority, but it is ours. So I know they have no money, the county, kind of like us, maybe even worse. But how do we do that coordination where that's a priority to us? That, that's a perfect example of selecting streets sometimes because if there's a if we end up with a very small segment that's ours we wouldn't want to pave theirs if they're not funding it um, that sort of a thing so so that would affect it uh, Petaluma Boulevard North is a good example also because we did some bike lane widening uh, about five years ago or so and we did coordinate with the county and uh, there was some exchange of funds so that we could do a portion of the county thank you so uh, I don't know if anyone can read this. This is just a real simple example of a decision tree that it actually goes off the graph, off the screen this way, and it goes many, many pages deep. But just to show you, you know, the functional classification, so an arterial with an AC surface in very good condition, your initial treatment would be a recommended, um, some kind of crack treatment, a, a slurry seal at, we have a hundred dollar, uh, 50 per square yard in square foot square yard at this point um, and that would go for the first if you do that every like three years for example as you get past that then you would do something a little heavier the like the micro uh, microsurface at a slightly higher cost um, and then what isn't shown on here but if you ultimately get to a grind and pave this is a two and a half inch AC overlay and you can see the cost difference here. But what you don't see is that this would be done after 25 years or so of these treatments. So you can extend it out so long, but you get to a point where you need to do that. But it's, it's really telling the cost difference. The only other thing I'd like to point out on here is we have, where normally we would have a typical reconstruction, the FDR, uh, full depth recycling, similar to what we did on Cronella with the uh, when they grind it up and they put it back in place it's actually coming out cheaper these days than a full reconstruction these are some of the changes that we made to the decision tree to again add life to the pavement instead of replacing it thus reducing the cost to get our PCI up um, just quickly some of those preventative maintenance methods uh, you know the crack sealing fog sealing we don't do fog sealing typically here um, scrub seal only added this because it's uh, been used in Novato, um, I guess, with some some success. Slurry seals, which you're familiar with, microsurfacing, and cape seals. 
Um, based on the PCI, you have an anticipated additional life that you would get out of these products. So for example, you do a crack sealing on a, on a PCI of 80 or a good street, you're going to get a couple years of life out of that pavement for doing that. You try doing it on a street that's past that point, you're not getting anything. It's, it's not going to help. And so in that same method, you can go down the line and you can see even with a really poor street, if conditions are right, you can do a microsurface, which would typically be considered a preventative maintenance method, and still get some life out of your asphalt. And while we wouldn't necessarily do this, we're, we're, we're working in this direction so that we're doing some of these lighter treatments on the worst, on um, streets that are farther gone than they normally would be, again, to add that life. Um, and as far as our rehabilitation, we also added a three-layer system, um, which we're, we'll get to as well, but we're trying to put in um, this year, uh, with this year's budget, which is a microsurface leveling course to fill in any ruts, seals all the cracks. Then you would come through with a chip seal, um, a rubberized chip seal, which is a certain type of asphalt that adds length, prevents cracking. And then you'd have to do a, a finishing course over the top of it because the chip seals course and typically isn't used in a residential area. Um, depending again on the street, you can get 10 to 15 years of life out of this versus a grind and pay for a, a much cheaper price. So our current need, based on the revised decision tree, uh, unconstrained cost. So that's if we had all the money in the world, what it would take basically to get us to that 85 PCI is $84 million over the next 10 years. Um, estimate to maintain our current PCI is approximately $2.4 million. Could I jump in on that Sure, one? of course. Um, yeah, so that's a very interesting number to me because I remember a few years ago we were told by previous staff um, that it would be about 7 or $8 million a year just to maintain, maintain yes, things it, steady. Can you talk about that? I, I believe last time I talked about this and the, the biannual report that you guys see, it was about $135 million, give or take, for the unconstrained cost and six and a half, six to seven million for maintaining what we have. And that's exactly what we've done with changing that decision tree. You take out the two, three inch grind and paves and you do a different treatment. You take out the full reconstruction and we've done a lesser treatment. So, so the lower number is more a, 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 a the fact that you've refined the decision tree, you've, you've gotten more fine-tuned what, what the treatments would be as opposed to we're now five, five points lower on PCI, so it's just not going to cost as oh, much. Exactly. The PCI is the same. The need is the same. Um, this is reflective of uh, trying to change the, our methodology. Okay. Thank you for that. I want, I want to piggyback on that because I, I'm not sure that this is the complete long-term sustainable picture um, because you showed a number of stop gaps there that you could do uh, with lesser cost and buy time on the life of the street, but that you couldn't do that, for instance, into perpetuity on the same street over and over again. So at what point do you reach with that 2.4 million, because that is considerably less expensive than what we've been told in the past, at what point 
does it cross over and that no longer is effective and then you're you're stuck with complete reconstruction uh, I will answer that I'm gonna go to the next slide okay. I think before, it's the before next you go slide. to the next slide I had one one last question on that okay um, so it, it, it is is maintaining the, the current PCI with with the new refined strategy is that focusing the dollars on the streets that haven't failed yet the 70 and 80 PCI streets and, and keeping them up there and letting the rest of the ones kind of genteely degrade or is it across the spectrum well at the the maintaining our current PCI is a very difficult task yes this is a, a computer software sort of spitting out a number well, on an average because can be a funny thing. again when we're on that part of the curve where things can degrade so quickly um, but to answer your question more specifically, it, it should be a mixture of both. With predominantly, you're trying to preserve what you have. That's your number one goal. But at the same time, you're trying to bring the others up. Okay, thank you. Um, I just need to jump in here because I'm, I'm sensing the same underlying question from yep. both the mayor and council member Healy. Um, when the change in methodology uh, I, I'd like you to clarify what that means because I'm concerned that that 2.4 million brings it up to this level and then that's not sustainable. And I think that that's what I've heard, you know, that, that after a while then you're going to need something more because it's going to cost more. Uh, I, I understand like you and showed I, earlier. I will answer that question. I kind of want to <coughs> jump one slide sure, and then yeah, come yeah, back yeah. to that. But just as long as it gets answered. Thank you. So. We, we talked about the unconstrained need uh, basically to get to that 85-ish range. Um, looking at a different number, um, trying to get to a PCI of 70 over the next uh, 10 years, again, using that same methodology, the same decision tree that we've created, um, we're looking at a $62 million number. And the way these typically work is there's a lot of upfront cost coming, uh, that's the recommendation that comes out of Street Saver is a lot of upfront cost. But if you just sort of think of that as per year, you're looking at 6.2 million. And I, I understand that, sorry. 6.8 million, I think, is the number on the slide there. Um, 62.8. Over 10 years. Okay, so, yeah. uh, and I've got previous maintenance, 6.8 million. Yeah, and this, this broke it up into um, rehabilitation versus preventative maintenance. Okay. And it, it really there shouldn't be much of a distinction. It's kind of based on the PCI. Okay. So if we had 6.3 million in any scenario, we'd be able to adequately maintain the streets is what you're saying. Yes. If you had that 6.2 million over 10 years, you would see a pretty drastic improvement in the streets in a relatively short time and we could maintain that increase. Um, so to answer your question about whether or not this is sustainable, um, we believe it is to a great extent because within this decision tree, if we go back to it, um, as we kind of walk through where you get to a point where you do need to do that full overlay, mm -hmm. that is part of the system and that's worked into these numbers, as, particularly as you start getting into the, that 6.2 range. But like I said, trying to balance at 45 when you're on that steep part of the curve is an extremely difficult thing and one big project is $2.4 million. So you have to take it with a grain of salt, um, but overall if you're looking at a 10-year cycle, uh, we do believe that it is, is sustainable. Again, 
things have changed. There's the technology on pavement is changing all the time. It's government agencies are slow to try because we don't want to throw money away and, and make a mistake. Um, so when I say new technology, it's not new technology. It's things that have been done for years, but it just hasn't been part of what we've been doing since we went to college and, and what Caltrans has done. But these, these treatments, microsurfacing has a standard Caltrans spec. It's been through all of their testing. Um, th these aren't cutting edge. I shouldn't even say new technology, just more modern methods. Mr. So, Zimmer? Sure. Uh, when we look at the cost increase to PCI to, to bring it to seven, the 70 in 10 years, would how much of that is done could be done in-house or is that are we contracting out with folks to do that or, or, or is it just all our own folks doing that work? This, this would be a mixture of that. Um, we'll, towards the end we'll talk a little bit about the great things that our maintenance and operation guys have been doing. They can do some stuff, but with the equipment and the staff level, it's pretty limited. But they are definitely worked into that number, and they would be a portion of that. Councilmember Albertson has a question. Vice Mayor. Thank you. I, Mr. Brown, is this 6.2 over a year per over 10 years? Is that something that we can factor into projected budgets over a period of time, or is this pie in the sky? type of stuff. Well, I think where this is going is is that you have a lot greater need than you're going to be able to satisfy with your existing revenue stream and, and I would suggest probably with your anticipated revenue stream. But and not to get too far ahead of the presentation, where it's going is you're going to need additional revenue stream. And the the question then is is how much of that 2.4 or 6.2 would you be able to generate and that'll that'll determine how much of this program you're actually able to deliver. Okay. So, you know, we're starting with the kind of the universe of need here, just so that the council is, is pretty clear. Everybody complains about the streets. We all complain about the streets. We'd all like to do more. But I, I, we want to make sure that you have a clear understanding of what it's going to take to do more. Uh, and within that understanding, what it is that we're doing to try to make that work better, you know, than it has in the past. Thank you, sir. So we're, we're getting to that question, too. I'll try to get there faster. Um, so jump obviously into funding which is perfect lead-in so the, these top three um, I'm calling known and predictable sources of funding it's the gas tax money it's our measure M money and its franchise fee these are the only three funding sources that I have typically predictable every year um, then there are all the others the federal grants um, which is typically the STP surface transportation program grants that we get regularly which is a, a large portion of that OBEG grant that we recently talked about. We've used Prop 1B in the past, which is now ended. Um, you see many other grants cross your desk with different acronyms, a lot of safety stuff, bike stuff, safe routes to school. Um, they are not intended for pavement, although sometimes we can get some pavement out of them. The road diet is a good example. Um, it's a safety project and we were able to put down a microsurface which again added life to that pavement because 
the striping came off and we need to cover that up for the new striping it's safer to do that and rather than just the thin slurry seal we were able to get a microsurface adding a few more uh, years of life onto that pavement um, we try to do that wherever we can paving under bike lanes with the bike grant but it's limited Mr. Zimmer? Yes. Is that micro seal being torn up along Petaluma Boulevard north there along the, the parallel parking? There is a little bit in the parallel parking that's coming up, but um, we don't see it as being a problem at this point. Yeah, just not to split hairs, but that parking in front of uh, the chocolate store, uh, Cucina, Paradiso, along in there, that seems just to, right down to the previous paving. Um, well, we'll go take a look at it, but one of the things that that does is it seals all the cracks on that street. Okay. Um, and it, you're correct that it, the parking there with the parallel parking, the hard turning of the wheels, is really hard on that type of pavement. Uh, any type of slurry seal or any kind of surface treatment you'd get, it's very difficult to deal with that where you have that type of parking. The, the hard cranking in for the parallel. Once upon a time, and Mr. St. John's uh, predecessor, that was an issue. We had that stuff down in another part of town. Well, in fact, I think it was the same part of town. There was, it, I'm familiar with that. That was before my time as well. They put in an open graded asphalt and um, it was probably not the right choice at that location. It was done to reduce Was That noise. was a different material than yes. what we used? Okay, thank you, yep. sir. Um, and so then there's other grants that come up that we just don't qualify for. The Tiger Grant is often talked about. There's uh, minimums and requirements of that grant that we're just not eligible for. Um, and then uh, uh, Mr. St. John will talk a little bit about other possible funding sources, assessment districts, sales, property tax, that type of thing. Um, just quickly showing you over the last five years or so um, some projects that had a significant amount of paving in them. Uh, the street fund I'm referring to as these known and predictable, there isn't really a street fund, but um, that's this source. And you can tell historically it's not much money. Um, we did have quite a bit to cover um, Sonoma Mountain Parkway grant match one year. <coughs> street reconstruction is an old fund which was mostly uh, traffic mitigation and PCDC money. Uh, it, was, it hasn't been funded in the last seven years or so, but there was some money left over and that went to these projects uh, back in 2007-2008. And then our federal grant money. Um, I highlighted a couple. If you ignore the highlights, you can see every couple of years we get a million, a million and a half, and that's what the OBAG money is going to be. Even though that one is at 1.8, a portion of it isn't pavement money. Um, so the pavement money is roughly that 1.5 million again. Um, the highlighted ones are the ARA funds, uh, kind of a one-time shot. The traffic mitigation, again, is not intended for pavement. Um, in certain circumstances, it can and has been used. PCDC, um, it's a big number there. Uh, 12 million went into it, and uh, we all know that. Prop 1B is gone. And then the other was... Um, typically utility funds because there was utility work on this street uh, that didn't go towards the paving. It was uh, other things. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Mr. St. John to talk about the financial analysis. I must have got the short straw. I get to talk about finances. I um, want to make sure you got your questions answered. There was a question on coordination I did, I, with the county. I did want to point out, and really it's under Mike's leadership, 
what was it about a month or two ago we had the county crew down here and we walked our streets with the county uh, supervisor and we were talking about such things as sharing equipment what techniques are they using where the heck are they getting 16 million dollars this year to do their pavement uh, and, and also we had some equipment that they were interested in possibly um, borrowing or or, or, or or trading at some point so we do coordinate with the county and the other cities I, I think uh, uh, Larry pointed out that we've been he's been down to Novato he's talked to folks up at Deroner Park we're really trying to um, Eric and I went to a seminar last week in Santa Rosa uh, on, a, on a paving technique so we're really trying to reach out beyond our city limits to to stay current and to really see what other whether entities like ours are doing um, another example I know this is this is one that uh, council member Barrett's asked about a, a number of times and that's the the utility cut permits and, and those things what are we requiring the utilities to do when they cut our pavement well I was informed by our city engineer today that he has received the details that Sonoma County has recently adopted for their their utility um, a street cut program and we've also talked to Santa Rosa about that so again I wanted to really push that, that that our staff does go beyond our own boundaries to find out what is working elsewhere and to adopt those and I think that's a lot of what you're hearing from Larry on on we're calling them new prescriptive techniques new techniques maybe they're new to to us they're new to the industry probably over the last what, decade some of them are even more recent than that um, and so again we are bringing that technology home uh, for our own benefit um, this this whole issue of performance of micro seals that that was a big you know a big issue elsewhere where I've I've uh, been employed and I think micro seals people expect a nice fresh two three inch layer of, of smooth asphalt and micro seal doesn't really give you quite that look and so there is a perception issue when you do a micro seal and I've run into that before uh, we're gonna have to step up some of our education so people know that micro seal does perform a little bit differently than say a fresh sheet of, of two inch overlay um, so I just wanted to kind of start uh, start there but anyways, I got to uh, do the financials, and really Larry and I worked on this together. Bill Mashala was very much involved in his staff, um, and really the question was, what can we sustain? Well, the first question is, well, how does this thing look? You, you, you know, we know what it looks like this year's budget. We know what the current or last year budget looked like. We know what the current year budget looks like. But how does this sustain itself out? three four five years well we didn't have a financial plan we didn't have a financial model so we created one and the problem with modeling is we could come in here and show you 25 different iterations and I don't think that's what we really wanted to do so what we are really going to show you is is really two iterations one is current situation one is uh, a situation with with a hypothetically a hypothetical new revenue source in this case we plugged in 1.25 million dollars a year and we're going to show you what that does in terms of our fund balance over the six-year period and what that means in terms of some of the projects that we've already got in the CIP as they're not all all, we have them in the CIP all the funding is not identified in the CIP but the need is identified 
Um, and in both those two scenarios, we've also looked at, well, how does it look if we were to bond to do a big project up front and then pay for that project over the, the term of the bond? Uh, and so we've looked at a bonding scenario with the current situation and with the situation with additional uh, revenue. And so the way we are, we are evaluating this is at the end of each one of these scenarios, we'll tell you what you have to take off the list is really it. And so you'll, you'll, you can tell by what we're doing. Well, you can tell how much you like each scenario by how many projects we're saying would have to come off the list in order to do that. So we'll start with current. Well, we'll start with the assumption of the current list, the current CIP list. And we also have some other projects that uh, are projects that we've identified that are not even in the CIP yet. But we're starting with this list of about, um, I added that up at one time. What is that, about six point six million? I think the total is, it's more than that, isn't it? It's probably about eight million. But, and, and again, it's not the, the purpose to go down that list and say which one's more important and which one's not uh, as important or to really scrutinize, well, why is that 94,000? Why isn't it 83,000? It's really to give a way of evaluating these financial scenarios. Um, so we've got the, the, the bottom line there is in the, 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 the 753,000 in year one and so forth. You'll see those summaries in each of these uh, projections. So this is kind of a standard. Mr. Um, St. John, sorry to interrupt. No problem. On the last slide, of the projects for 1314, uh, I think the Lakeville D rehab is what we approved maybe about three months ago. Uh, instead of doing the road diet all the way to the edge of the city, when will that start? The Lakeville D, re the, the one I'm yeah. pointing to? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Uh, no, that's not good enough. We need to like to go into the microphone. People watching have to. Okay, so this project this. will be designed in the current fiscal year, and uh, the thirty-four thousand represents the city's match share to that grant-funded project, and then construction is scheduled for uh, the fiscal year starting a year from now. Thank you. So those capital projects flow over to this line here. So those, that line is from this sheet here. That is that line there. Okay. Okay. So scenario one's cur current level. You, you can see we're projecting to start the current fiscal year with a fund balance of about 1.5 million. Uh, for financial modeling purposes, we are expecting to maintain at least a three-month uh, fund balance so you'll see roughly a three month fund balance at the bottom is our target and you'll see the actual projection from each scenario is right above that so you can see we're trying to maintain that three-year balance you can see our revenues that Larry talked about total revenues um, total expenses now obviously we've rolled them up um, and then we've got our capital now in in the current year scenario we have no bonding because this scenario doesn't include bonding, so we have that zeroed out. 
So you can see in this current year scenario, we can do what's in the budget. The budget we approved is fine. We're, we're going to end the year with a, with a healthy fund balance based on our projections. And we're not suggesting that there's any projects on list that we do this year. Uh, however, that story changes next year. Now, I should point out the assumptions of revenue. We do have the, uh, the gas tax, as Larry has outlined. This doesn't in include the three and a half cents. Uh, the three and a half cent increase in gas tax uh, at state level is included in that number uh, and so forth. Now, in the uh, pavement franchise uh, fee for garbage, that number is the number that does take effect as of July 1st just took effect. Uh, that's the new uh, pavement condition index that, that was agreed to in the franchise agreement. We are assuming that uh, you'll recall that the franchise agreement also uh, considers, well, requires the uh, garbage franchisee to pay the city $500,000 every, I believe it's uh, September, and that does include half of that amount. And uh, this cost recovery fund is really for for garbage, but it, it is in with it is in the gas and street fund, so it is part of this overall revenue. Uh, I should point out that that expenses here is is everything from what Mike does on the streets to signs, to our our street lights, traffic signals, um, you know, a lot of our even our sidewalk repairs. We I mean that's a fully loaded. Uh, expenditure column here and I should point out that a lot of expensive expenses have migrated into that fund from the general fund over the last five years so that's that that amount here has grown over the last five years okay so you can see what happens here is in order to get through year two we're going to have to reduce that capital list by $950,000 in order to end up with a fund balance that meets our three-month projection. Year three, re we reduce it by an additional 1.6, an additional one, an additional 1.2, an additional 1.3. What that means is at the current level of revenue and expenditure, we are not going to be able to afford this list of, of capital projects and grant matches. And in fact, this list will have to be re reduced by these numbers, which totals, uh, well, it totals about 72%, 6 million, or 72% of this capital plan. So, I would say, well, you can draw your own conclusions on that. So the scenario is the same thing with bonding. Well, if we couldn't sustain the program without a $500,000 pavement uh, uh, program, we're not going to be able to sustain it by adding an additional $500,000 bond payment. So you can see very quickly with a bond payment under current revenue scenario, our ending fund balance dips very quickly into the negative. We don't meet our goal of a three-month operating expense balance and therefore this scenario fails. So even with six million dollars, 72 percent reduction in CIP, cash flow does not support a bond payment. Fund goes negative in year two. Actually I had a question. Um, if you could go back to scenario one for a second. 
and the, the, the top line, the, uh, the gas tax, um, HUT, whatever that is, why does that, is that projected to decline over the five-year period? I think the anticipation is with smaller vehicles and, and transit that, uh, that, the, that the thought is that tax will decrease in time. That, ha that certainly has been true since the early 90s when gas tax really came into its, its, so, its being. So, so hybrids and, and uh, our electric cars have the perverse effect of uh, decreasing the amount of money we have to, for street maintenance. That's correct. Remember, gas tax is a per cent per gallon. It is not indexed to inflation. It is per, it's, it's so many cents per gallon. Okay, so you're basically looking at the fleet average improving over yeah. time. That's okay. correct. All right, thank you for that. Sorry that's for the correct. interruption. Yeah. And, and you'll measure M, uh, that's more sales tax driven, right? So it's, it's determined, it's expected to be flatter. Okay, scenario three is the scenario of increased revenue. Now, we're not suggesting where this increase in revenue would um, occur from under new sources of revenue. However, we are suggesting that it is a what-if scenario such as what if there was a sales tax or some other contribution uh, that required an election next year and therefore would not possibly occur until halfway through next fiscal year. What if something like that happened? Okay, well, then we would have additional revenue, half of it in year two, and then we get the full amount in years three through six. Obviously, that's, that's helping our uh, net income. And even under that scenario, even with the increases of these revenues, the, we would have to adjust our CIP slightly. And we would, uh, we would require about $400,000, about 5% reduction of that capital projects list that we showed you uh, uh, two or three slides ago. Uh, and we'd have to reduce it a little bit more in year two and three, and we could add a little bit back in years four and five to maintain an ending fund balance that meets our goal of three months of operating expense. Um, and so you can, you can start seeing with this type of an increase in revenue, we're starting to at least balance out what we currently have on the books. Now this doesn't go very far to meet the needs that Larry's outlined. So, um, excuse me, Mr. St. John. So what you're saying here is that even with a um, 1.25, what, yeah, 1.25 million dollar increase per year in revenue that is dedicated to um, streets. This is not even beginning, this is just dealing with what we do now. This is not additionally bringing our streets up to a CIP of 70? That's correct. Okay, thank you. Yeah. It would give us a more of a fighting chance to hold the current line, but I, I don't even think you can see there's a total of 2.3 million. You'd still be declining. And so the last scenario is just this I'm scenario. sorry, Mr. St. John. So did I hear correctly? So even if we were to do this, that 45 number that we're at now in five, six years could be down to a 39 or a 30, you know, 38, whatever, because we're 
just going to be barely keeping our head above water. Yes, sir. So, so this, in my opinion, would not even be meeting our minimum needs. That's to correct. stay steady at that safe place of forty-five, right? That's it. Would meet it basically meets this need, which this need has a million dollars a year that would fit into Larry's scenario. So we're, we're meeting about we're meeting less than half of the hold your own scenario that Larry uh, outlined in this scenario. Now, so, you know, we're going to get some benefit for some of the, some of this other stuff, but really, most uh, m much of the project list here, you can see, is not even pavement related. No, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, not, nothing on that list is going to get us above forty-five. That's correct. That is it's not going to get us above forty in a five-year period. That is correct. Thank it, you. it will not. And, and if if I may, real quick, um, I'm trying to get my arms around one of your assumptions. So on the one point two five million dollars there. I know you're generically saying some new revenue source that's, and I know you're, some people are saying hypothetically a, a sales tax of some sort, but if that was brought forward, you're probably putting some percentage of that sales tax in there, or are you just picking a number, or are you picking 25% of whatever that overall half cent or whatever it is on there, so you're doing 0.12 of the half percent, or are you do, picking a number and putting it in there? You figured me out. That's one-eighth cent. One-eighth cent. So one-quarter of what's been bantered around. Okay. So that, that represents, you know, the equivalent of a one-eighth cent sales tax. Okay. For that one item. For that one item. Right. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. So I, scenario four is the same thing as the increased funding. The only difference is we've added a bond payment to allow us to bond and do a larger project up front. And under this scenario, you know, we, we've increased our, our expenses down here in the bond line, so we've had to pull out expenses in the capital line. So you can see under this scenario, uh, it requires a 32% reduction of that CIP list that we looked at earlier. However, it would allow you to generate somewhere upwards to uh, 10 million. Now we have not gone to bond council. We haven't run all the numbers, but we're just sort of ballparking uh, uh, what a half a million dollars a year bond payment might buy you. Um, and so we're saying that if you did that, you'd have a you'd have a, a, a pile of money up front that you could do a number of, of the projects with, and then you you pay it off for for 20 or 25 years. But but having done that, we're going to have to reduce our CIP list. Now that does give you eight to ten million dollars to spend up front. That's not on that list. So uh, I, I don't know if that's that's perfectly clear. But anyways, we did want to run a scenario to say that if we did get some additional revenue, could we take some of it and bond for it? And if so, what would that do to the program? So I think the conclusion is yes, we could we could get a real good jump start on things, but then year two we're going to be cutting our program back uh, as we would for the remainder of the six years. So that's the end of the financial modeling. And then, if I may, I had a question. It was kind of marinating from earlier, but it kind of illuminates it here. When you were talking about, and maybe Larry was talking about the Prop 1B monies, I know it was expiring June 30, 2013, but has there been any move afoot for the 
the state to reach out or representatives in the state to reach out to us to people in the state and say was this successful should we try it again or is it just something that's dead or have they ever said please tell us all the successes throughout California so we can potentially do this again or is that already killed on the state level or I, something we I need have, to start lobbying for or yes lobby for. yeah <laughs> no I have there is often talk I attend um, the uh, technical advisory committees with SCTA and sometimes it's talked about MTC has a similar group that meets once a month um, but I have heard of nothing concrete that we could count on or plan on at this point I, I, I sit on the transportation committee for the California League of Cities and there's not been any discussion about it there I think you're back up let Mr. Zimmer take it from here. So I was just going to go into a little bit of a conclusion on what we've done. Um, we ended up talking about a lot of that. Uh, one of the things I have here is a video of what Mike Elmarini and his crew have done. Um, recently they paved Elma Court. It, um, I'm not sure. I think I have the volume off. I hope you're not offended, Mike. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so this was one of the first streets that they've done with their um, paving box, which they had some problems with uh, attaching to the trucks. And um, the, their crews were able to figure this out. We were at the point where they were almost going to sell this paving box that was purchased by prior staff. And these guys in the field went out and fixed this on their own. Um, and replaced and, and uh, have been paving streets. We recently did Maria. You can see the improvement in the quality of their work from one job to the next. Um, they're really doing some great stuff. Um, they showed you a little bit about how it was in the... Uh-oh. Uh that didn't just happen. I'm glad it's not just me. I'm sorry. Do you guys have the, the presentations on your desk there? Yeah. Well, we can log it back on. Um, so, so again, the um, no, that's okay. So, what it was it was going to show you uh, what great work they're doing and the the paving box. Um, but a couple of things I wanted to point out is it's it's limited in size. There's there's certain projects they can do because they have to make several passes. Um, whereas uh, the contractor comes out with a 12 foot wide and they can do the entire lane or they can do the lane and the parking lane all in one one movement so that there isn't the um, the joints in the pavement um, as far as if you have to grade the street the cross slope of the street so there's certain things that our crews can't do just because of the limitation of their equipment um, one of the best things that they've done recently was the um, uh, starting to do crack sealing. Crack sealing is such an important thing. Everyone forgets about it, but if you crack seal a street, it it waterproofs that surface. It's the water getting into the cracks that ultimately degrades the street. It's such a minor thing, and it does. It's such great uh, payback on the effort. And so Mike and his crews have been going out, and they just started recently an annual slurry seal. I mean, uh, crack sealing. So with that combination and with uh, the reductions that we've talked about, 
we really believe that we can um, make an improvement with a much smaller amount of money. It's, it's still daunting, but it's not insurmountable as we had thought it was in the past. Mr. Zimmer. It may not be worth doing all this. We're pretty much done anyway. Mr. Zimmer. Yes. It was Eli from like uh, um, Washington to Costa Grande. Was that part of the area that was done last this past year? Yes. Yeah. So uh, as someone that I drive that road all the time, huge improvements. And then was it the city crew that did East Madison? Correct. So it, growing up in that neighborhood, I don't think that it ever been paved yes. ever. Um, and so that was a huge improvement. Um, and I think I got like a complaint from one person that they, you know, it was disruptive to their daily, you know, but everyone in that neighborhood from what I've seen is just hugely appreciative of, of that. And so, I mean, you guys are doing a fantastic job in that regard. Um, cause there's a lot of the neighborhoods, uh, it seems, you know, on the east side that have been uh, allowed to get down into a level of disrepair that is uh, problematic. I know um, off of East Madison, there's that, that small little street, I think Janet, that there's no, on Janet, there's no housing, but there was like a, a pothole the size of, you know, a small child um, that people had been calling about, which brings me to the, there's a long intro to a question. When people have problems with their, their streets as far as potholes or, or it's just uh, their street gets to be so problematic that they don't know what to do, do we have a system in place where someone can fill out a form online or call or how does it work? Do you want to answer that, Mike? Yes, yeah, All the way into the mic there, please, sir. It should be on our city website. Um, they can uh, go on there and they can actually fill the form out um, and go about it that way and then that will go and come to me. Okay, and then you, you guys just kind of triage it and say, what's, look at what's the biggest priority or most bang for our buck? Priority. Well, Everything. But like what's, what, what's gonna be the biggest bang for our buck as far as, you know, we only have X number of dollars, we have to kind of pick and choose, right? Right, what we're doing is the streets like you saw, they're, big potholes we get calls on them every winter they're going to keep deteriorating we go in we do an edge grind or i mean our grinder small we can do that much of it and our box is small now like east madison what you saw that's the extent of what my crew and the equipment can do that was a big job for us um we're better left off you know when talking with Larry and teaming up with him the CIP money for the arterials I don't have enough manpower and I don't have a big enough box to do that um, it's just not in the cards the CIP money goes to that I take care of residentials and it depends on what it is it could be simple as I can go in and just if there is so many potholes I'll do what's called a skin patch that has there's places in town that's lasted up to five years. On residential streets, there's not the heavy traffic. So something like that application is gonna seal and save it, you know, or at least mitigate it for the time being. And then when, when I look at the streets, I look at where most of the complaints are coming from, and we go after those. And it's just like the money I've gotten this year. I've already got parts of and or the streets already picked out 
and unfortunately this year I can only do about one a month during paving season. Right. Well, I, I appreciate, and I, I think you know a lot of the folks in town appreciate the work you guys are doing, and I, I think that because our streets have gotten to the point where they're at, people, it, it's it's like we're we're already in a hole and we're trying to dig our way out, and so uh, I appreciate the work you and your crew are doing, and uh, hopefully we can get you some more money. Thank you. Okay. If I have a couple things to add to that to close it out, sorry for the nope. lack of the PowerPoint. Um, Madison is a, a perfect example of, of what we're doing instead of what should be done with Madison which would be a full reconstruction Mike's crews go out there over a, a week or so with a reasonable cost and the residents are happy these skin patches which um, typically we wouldn't think are even a repair but he's spent so much time and money filling potholes that they can go out there and and they really are lasting and it is worth it it is adding life to the pavement that has already really failed but we're getting life out of it and it's making the residents happy um, I don't know if Dan's gonna get there or not but uh, within the packet and one of the last things on the presentation is a list of projects that we're going to be working on um, the first section is, is Mike's list of projects and the second section is um, within the CIP we have a roughly a $450,000 and again we're, we're trying to follow this um, fixing what we can and rather than doing the really good streets we're trying to find those streets that, that are a little bit past that we think we can get more life out of with the the microsurfacing we're going to do one of the three layer systems we're we're going to put this stuff out you're going to be able to see it all for four hundred fifty thousand dollars and if you compare that to a uh, full reconstruction of like Cronella or the work that we've done on McDowell it's it's really a reasonable price compared to everything else if I can jump in on that yeah um, thank you. Yeah, so I'm particularly pleased, uh, Larry, to see East Madison between Maria and Sonoma Mountain Parkway on that list, and also Maria Drive from Professional to Banff. I have no I idea what rubberized chip seal pilot project means or three-layer system pilot project means, um, but I can tell you those those are two segments that are way past yeah. uh, any any uh, reasonable expectation of, of of needing a lot of serious work and. Those have deteriorated to the point where it's really a neighborhood preservation issue. Um, so I'm, I'm really thrilled to see those two, two, uh, two road, road segments on, on the list for this year. Thank you. Mr. Brown and then Mr. Albertson. Uh, I don't mind deferring to Mr. Albertson for a moment. If, uh, thank you. So um, I think staff's done a nice job of presenting this to you this evening, and I, I thank them for that. Um, I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in the message that we're having to bring you this evening. Um, what I had hoped as we talked about putting this workshop together some months ago is, is that we would be talking to you about making a choice to go out and borrow some money so that we could do uh, you know, a large amount of street work uh, all at once and that is sort of the genesis of the, the bond scenario that, that uh, Mr. St. John discussed a couple of points through the various uh, alternatives and that was going to take uh, advantage of the monies that we received from the, uh, the franchise fee. And uh, unfortunately, as Mr. St. John indicated, we really hadn't sat down for the street fund and done any kind of a cash flow uh, in any recent time so that we could see, as we have with the general fund, what the forecast was going to look like. 
And so uh, there was mention made of the revenues declining, the gas tax revenues declining. What you really aren't seeing on the expense side is an escalation in our expenses that uh, very, very much mirrors what we're seeing in the, in the general fund. We're, we're very heavy uh, in the fund and personnel. We're seeing personnel costs on the rise, particularly in the retirement and the health care benefit areas. Uh, and between the declining revenues and the increasing costs, you know, the $250,000 or the $500,000, as you can see, has been lost uh, in, in the course of the next few years. And so it really has become clear in the course of putting this together uh, and talking to staff that we need to be talking to the council not about what your preferences are in bonding, but rather, you know, what your appetites are for some kind of an increase in our, in our tax revenue. Um, and Dan, I don't know if I'm getting out ahead of you here or not, but I, I did want to make sure that we got to that in the event that the, the, the presentation was over. So I think that it, it's good that we're talking about what our, our crews are able to do. Uh, as I talk about the escalating cost of staff, this is an area, uh, the street fund is an area where we really can't reduce people any further. We actually tried to maintain vacancies for some period of time in order to make that fund work better and we weren't getting any street work done. We needed a, a certain number of crew members to even send a crew out to get the job done. So now we have our crew members, they're out getting the job done. I think we're going to have to rely pretty heavily on them uh, here in the coming years to do the kind of maintenance work that's been discussed this evening. Um, so the cost-cutting side of this equation really isn't available to you as a city council and it really puts you in a place of having to decide whether you're willing to let your streets continue to, to, to deteriorate like this or whether we're willing to, to go forward and seek some kind of funding. Um, and, and it was no mistake, we used an eight cent. We said, what if we took a quarter of what we've kicked around as a potential tax increase and put it towards the street? And you can see that that's really only about half of what we need in order to get to that 2.4 a year. Um, one of the things I did want to point out with respect to escalating costs, it's not just staffing costs that have been the culprit there. We've made decisions that we had to make, I think, in order to preserve the general fund. Uh, over the years, such as putting uh, street light maintenance into the street fund, and that's around $300,000 a year in round numbers. Uh, but that's 300000 a year for the last several years that hasn't been, that has been taken out of the fund and continues not to be able to, uh, you know, be borne by the fund and still do all the street work. So as we move forward, and you'll recall when I talked to you during goal setting here in January, I talked about the notion of some kind of public safety program with a sales tax increase and I was defining public safety as not just you know the police cars and fire trucks and, and folks in, in blue suits and badges but also street lights, sidewalks, street maintenance and I think it's going to be important for the council as we go away from this evening to, to think about finding ways to raise money through some sort of taxation to get those street lights out of the street fund, you know, to find additional reven revenue to allow us to do the paving work that we know we've got to do to keep our streets together. Uh, I think one of the things Dan may want to talk a little bit about is an assessment of some kind. That's, that's something that, that we want the council to think about. And so unfortunately, I'm not prepared to say, well, can you make a choice as to how much you want to borrow and how long you want to borrow it for? I think w instead what we're having to talk about is what are you willing to if at all, try to finance through a, a, a sales tax measure or some other revenue generating alternative. Did you want to elaborate a little bit on the alternatives at all? I think you did a marvelous job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, I, I mentioned the fact that it is a diversified approach. That 
obviously some additional source of funding is required if we're going to hold our own here but I don't think we, we you know we can't rule out what we're doing with our street cut program we've got to you know we can't be creating more of a problem by allowing utilities to cut and leave us trenches in our middle of our roads so we're looking at that uh, we did want to point out you know nobody likes assessment districts but they are a method that some cities use to maintain streets and um, yeah most people view them as an additional tax technically an assessment district you have to return the value to the property of at least the amount of the assessment so there has to be a, a cost benefit with that type of a program but we did want to mention that that is something that that is is used in our in our industry um, but really you know to get us out of where we are it, it's going to take something fairly significant Mr. Robertson. We, we've hit on most of these recommendations okay. thank you mr. mayor sure. Now I wish I'd gone ahead of you after to ask this question and after hearing that we the money we don't have the residents of the of the, of the community and I'll, I'll use my own example they, they have questions about their street the street in front of their house is bad and could you come out sir and, and inspect my street and could we prioritize my street to uh, to uh, for repaving at some time in the future how is that done and as an example and just a street beat up Petaluma Boulevard south from D Street to the traffic circle that's one of the arterials but uh, a residential street McNear Avenue from Country Club going back down to Mountain View uh, I mean that's completely torn up and with uh, cobblestone gutters uh, going back to Lord knows how long ago uh, who goes out and in what what's the the sequence of inspecting the street and going wow this has gotten a lot worse than I remember and there's more traffic on it than what we thought there was you think Madison would be a good example to talk about how you and Erica oh. kind of got together to figure well, out absolutely yeah. I mean it's it's where I'm spending most of my time and money I mean if I have to send a crew out every other week to spend three or four hours in another two ton to go back into potholes that's that's too big of an expense I can edge grind it I can lay down two inches of pavement on an overlay that's going to get me 12 to 20 years of life especially if we go back and take care of it with crack sealing in two to three years I mean if we keep it up what we've done it's not going to go backwards you know and it's the same thing if if I go out and I get complaints and I go out to a street and I look and I go okay it's it's solid the base is good um, I have no you know no bad saturation here I can come out here fill the potholes put a thin layer down you know a skin patch over everything seal it and that's really going to help that out not every single one of them has to be overlaid we don't have that kind of money well uh, there are those who will look at their street and say boy this street's terrible but relative to the neighboring streets it's in pretty good shape so uh, I, I guess the question is uh, do you go out or does a member of staff go out to actually inspect streets periodically or it does the squeaky wheel get the grease here should we the people who have a concern start 
submitting their a, concerns. A couple things I'd like to, to add to that. Um, on, on our website, it's a little hard to find on our website, there's like a two-page document that I prepared to answer these very questions. Um, and part of what it does is it defines the difference between maintenance versus capital. Um, what that funding does, what they can do, what we do, because um, that's really the first step when you get a call like that is can the maintenance guys go out there and take care of this? Can they get them through a little bit? Um, and then it defines the funding within capital because they're all worthy streets and they all should be fixed and so many people come in and say my street hasn't been touched ever or forever however many years and there isn't the money there. So we kind of go through where we get our money and how we how we prioritize and it isn't a list. Um, as one of the things I hope you got out of this and what Street Saver does do for us, it's evolving. It depends on how much money you have um, on what streets you would do and what methods you would use. Um, and then further, it, when you have grant funding, you're trying to find the best way to maximize that grant. So this is a really deserving street, but this street fits that grant better because of all the different factors. And that's really hard when it's your street that you're coming in second or never getting fixed because the sewer line needs to be replaced. You know, we have money for paving, but we don't have money for the sewer line right now because that's lower on the priority for the sewer line, but we don't want to pave it before the sewer goes in. There's so many different factors. It isn't the list that you go one, two, three. Um, but yes, Mike's crews go out there and they look at the streets and they can give them a good assessment and they can help to get them through. I hope that answered. That, you know, that's very good information, Mr. Zimmer, and, and the, the issues of the sewer lines and water lines and we want to do the underground stuff before we do the, the capping of the street and it makes sense. But I, I, to educate the public on that and that the, these things are being addressed that they're, they're not being set aside, they're not being ignored, uh, they're that there is some method to the madness and how these streets get paved and what streets get paved and to what level of pavement are they addressed. And this workshop is, is, goes out on PCA and, and people will look at it, but uh, uh, public service announcements, uh, the, the articles to the, the, the papers, uh, the, the, what, you know, the, so the public knows that this is, there is stuff being done. And it's not being done haphazardly, but in a logical manner with the resources that the city has available. Councilmember Barrett. Um, yeah, uh, first I'd just like to recommend that you talk to someone in IT and get that little bit of information that you were just talking about more easily accessible. Um, you know, because I'm sure people who are going to watch this are going to want to go to the website and find it. So, you know, it could be under frequently asked questions about why my street isn't paved. That, that'll get a hit or two. Um, but I, I guess I'm wondering, and this may not be for you, but for perhaps um, the city manager or, or Mr. St. John, um, we're talking about a, the number you plugged in for additional revenue was equivalent to one-eighth of a cent sales tax. Um, we have had other work shops on stormwater utility how much does that need to you know because really what you're saying is streets need at least a quarter of a cent but an eighth of a cent isn't going to make it so and how, did we have a number associated with stormwater utility 
that uh, came out of the workshop? No, council member, but if you just figure $500,000 as you know a good round number, well, let's use $600,000 because that's, I think, more like what we were talking. It would be a sixteenth of a cent. It's half of, half of the eighth. Okay, but I do recall that um, part of what came out of that workshop was really uh, going back and looking at is that money really going to get us what we need to have done, or is that just a stopgap amount? Because I, I'm not really interested in stopgap amounts because it's just going to build people's futility and, and, and frustration. Well, and that's the case. The other thing that we talked about in that workshop was was finding a, a variety of different revenue sources and not just trying to rely on any one. Right, right. And, you know, there's three or four of them that I think will be working to, in some combination to try to put together. Okay, and so on this where we're talking about at least three different um, revenue sources, assessment district, sales tax, property tax, is that the same attitude that you want to bring to that as looking at a, uh, a cafeteria style approach or do you want to have this more concentrated well, single I, source? I think that uh, there's some strategy that we'll need to talk with the council more about if we're going to discuss a sales tax but my personal feeling on this is it's sort of an either or here where we're talking about the streets because of the size that we're talking about um, and I don't me. want to Did, sell when people. you say either or either or what well what I'm saying is is you'd want to go for one revenue source or you'd want oh, to go for oh, the okay. other but you I'm probably sorry. wouldn't want to try to put it together with both and, and, and maybe you do I don't know that might be the right strategy and, and after all but as I'm sitting here this evening and I'm thinking about this more, I'm thinking, you know, it's to the public's benefit to put that into a sales tax or at least use sales tax revenue, uh, you know, to repair its streets, particularly if we're putting that into arterials and collectors because there's a lot of travel on those streets from folks that don't live here. And, and when they come and they pay that sales tax, then they're also paying for their share of the demand on, on the street system. Uh, if we put it on an assessment in an assessment district, then it's just our own businesses and residences that are going to end up paying for that. Uh, it, it's a property-based assessment, which you know we've seen the polling on that. People only are willing to pay a certain amount, and I think we probably need more than that when it's all said and done. I, I think the sales tax, at least again, as I sit here this evening, would be the better solution to that that problem. Thank you. If I were, let, let me just weigh in here real quick. If I were to um, take my druthers on when you get into assessment districts, I'd use those where we get into uh, situations of streets that are narrowly used by the benefited property. So you get a cul-de-sac, you get something uh, that is a heavy concentration of direct property benefit because that is where the tax is going to come. And before I get to Councilmember Healy, I, I want to say sometimes people can't connect the dots of a story of how that all plays out, but it was a couple of years ago, Councilmember Healy, myself, and Steve McCaffrey sat down uh, from the garbage company and said inside of a parameter of framework of if we were to look for an extension of the garbage contract, what would you want to see of Mr. Healy and of myself? And that was Mr. Um, McCaffrey's interest of what would you like to see? And, you know, there's this image out there that we never work together ever or that we, you know, just don't uh, have a chance to communicate or whatnot. And I kind of want to blow that myth up because there's people that uh, maybe didn't quite understand all of the ramifications that went through and why uh, someone that comes from, for instance, and they want to always phrase things into factions. I mean, the environmental 
faction, okay, uh, at least in the media. Why would you go forward with an extension of a contract? And it was exactly the scenario that we're seeing here about cash flows and money and needs to address issues and that the city manager is now sitting here uh, almost apologetic saying that the revenue wasn't enough to allow us to go to the bond market. Well, the revenue was as much as anybody could possibly get. I, I want to I shape that fairly because if you look at what Petaluma achieved out of the renegotiation of the garbage contract, it so far exceeds any of the other jurisdictions that by any stretch of the imagination that process was a success. And it was a success because it did not get politicized. Not by Mr. Healy, not by his faction, not by me. <laughs> you know, it was all handed as it should have been into the office of the city manager who negotiated then what I think is a very strong and very beneficial and good deal. So let's just take it from that standpoint and look at it. And we're all trying to address the pothole situation. Uh, so with that, Mr. Healy, now I'll open it up to you. Thank you for the introduction, and uh, those are good points, by the way, and I agree with them. Um, I, I appreciate staff's uh, time in putting this uh, workshop together tonight. Um, there's a lot of good information here. Um, I think the, the low-hanging fruit, perhaps, uh, as, as you've uh, talked about reaching out to other jurisdictions, County of Sonoma, City of Santa Rosa, on, on uh, the, the policies that they have in place for for utilities cutting up our, our beautifully new pa repaved streets like B Street. Um, and I know that's caused a lot of angst uh, in, in this community, as uh, Ms. Barrett has pointed out previously. Um, and, and so if we can uh, upgrade our policies to reflect best practices, I think that's uh, something we should get done in the near, near term. Um, but I, I think the, the case is, is uh, compelling. The good news is that with, with the, the new, new um, techniques. The, the expense is not as impossible as it may have seemed in the recent past. Um, it's still daunting, but it's not impossible. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, over the next 12 or 13 months before we need to make a decision on putting something on the ballot uh, next November, and of course we're required to put a, a tax measure of this nature on, on a a ballot when uh, council seats are, are up for election, and I would I would remind the folks who who might be running for office um, uh, next year that I'm I'm not I'm not picking on you because I was willing to put one on the ballot last year, and uh, we we couldn't we couldn't get the votes for that. So um, I, I will be uh, continuing to, to to raise that issue and uh, and and see if there's a consensus on that. But as has been pointed out by other council members and by staff. You know, we're, we're focused tonight very, very laser-like on, on, on the needs for, for streets. There are other very compelling needs within the organization, uh, as, as we all know, um, police staffing, uh, park and rec, uh, uh, fire um, apparatus and, and facilities. Um, th that would just be the beginning of the list. So, you know, I, I could see this as being a major component of a sales tax measure. Um, either a, a, a general or a special tax. Um, I'm, I'm partial to the general tax, but we'll have that conversation going forward. But this is a, a, a conversation we really need to, to have continuing over the next 12 months. And so thank you very much for, for this tonight, and um, I look forward to the next chapter in the book. Thank you. Mr. Harris. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, can I take one more stab at how the the community interacts? I know Mr. Albertson was asking about that 
process um, and we get the benefit of you know a two-hour presentation we get everything conceptually because you explain it to us we're in this room but the average citizen out there if they fill something out online what what do they get back if they fill it out online it comes into your decision tree do they ever get a response in the mail that says exactly what that two-page document may be that's online that they can go to describing how it's prioritized or do they just get nothing or because that's where we get stuck we can conceptually explain it to somebody out on the street but the, the ones that get? get to me again they, they followed a couple of different paths depending on the situation if it's uh, a repair if it's a pothole if it's something that they want it often goes straight to Mike and his crew and they go out there and they they'll meet with them or they'll take care of it um, if there's things that Mike knows that he's not going to be able to handle it would fall into a capital or if I just happen to be the one who gets the call because they know my name from whatever um, it's dealt with a little differently the the generic question which you guys are kind of asking um, I'll often especially if it's email I will send them a link to that uh, the hyperlink to that I'll say I hope this answers your questions if not give me a call um, I, I've met with people I've gone out to the job site it depends how much not the job site to their home to look at the street it really depends on their level of interest and how how curious they are how much they want to know I've sat down with people and looked at the budget you know and I've gone through basically what we did here are my funding sources here's how the grants work here's your street it doesn't fit um, they get it and then they go back to Mike again and and that's how Madison got done you know I mean I've had so many calls about that and it's like I can't do this but then he did it um, so it, it's really in this last year or so um, the teamwork and how we've all sort of worked together on this has really improved things um, and it can go beyond that he can do prep work for a contractor which can cut down on the cost of a contract um, but to answer your question it really depends on the person and who they're talking to but they can all call me Thanks. mr. Zimmer before you sit down let me let me, let me see if I can't uh, show you um, and and those that are watching if you go to our website under departments you, you can click on public works and utilities if you click on public works and utilities you go to the public works and utilities homepage and right on the homepage there's something that says forms the third form is an operation service form this is the way that citizens can email us potholes traffic concerns and you can see the list or other this goes into our work order system so this depending on which category is selected it will go straight through our admin Mike will get it if it's anything on his list he gets it if it's traffic it goes to some uh, traffic signals it goes to another manager and so forth so this is our basic work order system now I can tell you that we have been spending considerable time here the last oh I'd say six months researching asset management and customer uh, request and management systems with it with really to meet the goal of council again this is one of your goals is to upgrade this whole process right now these do not get answered you'll see on the form there I do not believe there's a place that somebody can leave an email address um, make a liar out of me here well there is one there so theoretically we could answer them we don't typically answer them 
which is a problem, which is something we want to upgrade. And we are currently working through a process so that if somebody makes a request, they can not only monitor the progress of that request through a customer request management system, but when it's done, they are notified that it's done. So we, we know that's a current def uh, deficiency. We do that on a catch-as-catch -catch can. As Larry described, there's a lot of personal interaction depending on who people get on the phone. But the, the official way of doing it is to call our, our, our direct number, which is the 778-4303 number, and either verbally make a request or to use this form online. Mr. Mayor, uh, just to, to follow on to what Mr. St. John just said, I want to make a distinction, and I think uh, both Larry and, and, and Dan are correct here in what they're saying about the follow-through on this. We are providing a certain level of personal follow-through to folks, or you're just seeing that the, the work is getting done in front of your house, and you know, you're probably good with that. Um, what we what we don't have is an automatic response, and a lot of the, the systems that Dan is talking about looking at have a kind of a cradle to the grave process where you make your 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 complaint or you know your request and it goes through and it gets assigned a work order number and you'll get something that says okay they're going to be out on the job in a couple of days and then you get something else that says when the job is complete we don't have that at this point you know so that a person always knows the progress and knows what the resolution on that is but you know, short of having that, and I think we will, it's, it's again, as Dan said, our goal, I think short of having that, having somebody like Mr. Uh, Zimmer or uh, or Mike, you know, coming out to your house or calling you up on a phone and explaining it to you is a, is a fairly decent fallback position. So, Mr. Mayor, uh, so going back, if we can go back to that website, I'm sorry. Uh, and I, I hate to call you out, Mr. St. John, but you had a hard time finding the form that first time when you are pulling up the page. Did you notice that? I did notice it. Yes. And, and so, and, and so uh, it makes sense, uh, the operation service form, I'm assuming is the lingo that's used in your office, but the average person might not use that lingo. And so my recommendation, and it's just a recommendation, I'm not here to micromanage and tell you how to do your job, but if we made it just so it was something easier for uh, John and, and Joan public to see, it might be helpful. Uh, if you, when we click on the service operation service form there, sir, I go through. I submit my information. If there was a, you know, once I click submit, is there a like thank you page that shows up? I do not believe so. So it, on a lot of uh, sites where you submit feedback uh, or you submit an email, like uh, if you were to email the Senate, right, one of your senators and you fill out their form on their website, it then goes to a thank you page. If we were to have that with the F, you know, frequently asked questions about pothole requests or streetlight requests, it would give those folks a way of, without having an automatic, you know, because we can't afford that automated system, it would give folks that, okay, this is what I can expect next. That what was my next step um, to kind of close that circle a little bit better. Uh, if I had it my way, uh, yes, I'd love it for us to have our own app, like I think Santa Rosa is, you know, coming out, out with, that where you can, you know, take a picture and set, submit it, and it, you know, goes to the st city staff, and you can follow through on things. No. But we don't have that kind of money. I understand that, and so 
just small recommendations. Again, not trying to tell you guys, you know, you have to do this and be micro, a micromanager. It's just suggestions. Councilmember Harris. If I may just follow up on that, maybe end it. I'm sure this is something I could bring up the technology committee and suggest as a topic to really go through all the different permutations, what's feasible, what's possible. We have Mr. Williamson in that meeting as well, so we could at least have it as a topic. And if with the council's okay, we could discuss it there and bring back things to the council through staff, of course. Okay. Anything else for tonight? With that, I want to thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to adjourn if there's no objections. With that, we're adjourned. Thank you.